Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast, a show focused on inspiring and empowering you to become a better writer. Come along as we deconstruct the tips, routines, and motivations of your favorite authors. In the end, it's all about getting your story onto the page. Welcome to episode 112, How Janet Burroway Writes. Well, well, well. <laughs> I know I had said I was going to release this episode last week, and to spare you all the gory details, let's just say we've had a little bit of turnover in the How Writers Write podcast department, and I could not find the source files for the podcast, which means couldn't find the intro and the transitions and all the stuff that goes into it, meaning I had to go look through the past 111 episodes (laughs) to try and find the audio. Needless to say, I found the audio. You're about to hear it in a second, all the way back in episode nine in my files, which was unexpected to say the least. That said, here we are back, episode 112 with Janet Burroway. And it feels so good to say that and read it all over again, say the intro, get back to producing episodes. So this episode with Janet is she literally wrote the book on how to write craft narrative fiction. In fact, she has one of the iconic, iconic books that have been in print for so long. I think it's on its 10th edition. As you can imagine, Janet and I, we dive right into the craft fiction world and some of the things she's learned through teaching for so long, through writing these books, and just these important points to share with you out there as we kick the podcast off again. I want to take a second and say thank you to Janet for her time for recording this episode with me, waiting so long for me to finally publish it and get it out there into the world. But I am so excited to get the process started all over again. So without any further ado, my friends, here we are, episode 112 with Janet Burroway. Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast. I am your host, Brian, and today's very special guest is Janet Burroway. Janet is the author of eight novels, as well as short fiction, plays, poetry, essays, texts for dance, and children's books. She is also the author of two craft fiction books, Writing Fiction, A Guide to Narrative Craft, which is in its 10th edition, which is incredible. Um, and her multi-genre imaginative writing, which is in currently its fourth edition. Janet, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you. Nice to see you, Brian. Thanks so much. I, I want to start with you as a storyteller. And one of my favorite questions to ask on the podcast is, do you remember your first story? The first one I wrote or the first one I read? I'll let you pick. Um, normally, it's the first one you wrote, but but whichever yeah. comes to mind first, we'll go we'll go that, that way. That is what came to mind first. Was the first story I wrote was a poem. Uh, I was five, and I came to my mom, and I had worked this out in my head, and it's about Jesus, mm-hmm. and it's about how 
Jesus went out one day and saw a rope hanging from the sky and he climbed up into the sky. And when he got there, um, he realized who he was. He was Jesus, God's shepherd. So um, I'm sure that my mother now was a, an elocution teacher. So she was speaking verse a lot of mm. the time that I was growing up. So I was very aware of poetry and, uh, and also very aware of religion. So that's, that's the first thing I wrote. One thing I always, I always ask on the heels of that question is whether or not you feel as if the early topics or themes that you came across as a child have carried through into your adult life? Like, do you still find yourself writing and thinking about Jesus? No. No? Um, I don't deliberately write or think about Jesus. Um, and I have ended up somewhere between atheist and agnostic. Yeah. But I find that the pull of that childhood experience of every Sunday, every holiday, every... Friday night socials, you know, that that has a powerful effect on me. And I uh, I sometimes am chagrined to see, oh, yes, I've been writing about grace here, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> to discover that uh, that that those things are still still in my writing. Yeah, it's always interesting. Um, the the things that the topics we touch upon in our childhood, how they wind up carrying with us. They, they stay with us in some ways. Um, and I think especially in the arts and I, I've, I've long been interested in whether or not we're always scratching at that question for the rest of our lives. I've, I've had guests on the show who said like, you, you write one theme your entire career, whether or not you know it or not, you're always trying to answer one question. Um, and so it's always interesting to go back. Yeah. What was that? If I could interrupt you, I, yeah, now please. that you say that, I realize that's the first story I wrote. The first story I know is that I was, this is a quotation from my mother, um, born with inch long, coal black hair all over her, sticking out all over her head like a little Indian. Mm. Now that discovery of the bigotry in my family, which was both gradual and came in a series of shocks, is something that has has deliberately informed my writing for my whole life. The attempt to outgrow, outlive, move past post racial, you know, to to become free of, uh, of that part of our history. Yeah. That's, 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 that's interesting. I never like my hair. (laughs) Yeah. There's, there's, there's always so much what's, what's interesting. I I wonder if you would agree with this. What's always so interesting is there, there's such a parallel, not parallel, but overlap between, um, storytelling and like this self-examination that happens as a result of storytelling, you know, like, like there's two things in my life that have taught me more about myself than anything else. One is becoming a storyteller and the other one was having kids. I never realized how selfish I was until I had kids, you know, and and, um, how, you know, rotten of a human I was until I, I welcomed my (laughs) daughter daughter in the world. Um, 
do th- those themes that that came with you as you look over your like career and as 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 you you've been writing against them do you feel like you made progress towards them like in some way of understanding them or maybe yes them having a different lens for you yeah Yes, I yes, I feel that although from very early on, I was trying to, I've said many times, I didn't choose race as my subject, it chose me. Mm. But I also did not realize uh, until quite, well, at least relatively recently, that I nevertheless was writing from the position of white privilege. Mm. So I... I started very, my first novel was an attempt to recreate uh, the little town where my mother grew up and reform it, just just make it better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, 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 in the first place, sent the Mexican children to the same school as the whites, you know, <laughs> that, in this in this novel in, and in, in the um, new in the novel yeah yeah in in the in the in the, in the rewritten the re, recreation yeah. um i think that i have become both more empathic and more skillful mm. in dealing with that electric subject matter yeah but i also think it's time for me to sit down and write about the experience both of knowing that I wrote all of that, the bulk of my five out of nine novels, probably, um, with the subject matter of race from the position of white privilege. And I need to to examine how I did gain in empathy and also in skill in simply understanding and then conveying. but that it was not a virtuous project. It was in many ways one force thrust upon me. Thrust, thrust, thrust from who or from where? From that little story I just told you. From the story. Not that was the origination. First, the wow. first time, yes. I, yeah. There was that. And then, then there was also a, a shocking incident, which I have used in various ways in at least, well, at least two of my novels. Um, when I was eight years old, when um, we had a black maid, she came with her little girl one day, and the little girl, we were both about eight, and we played um, fine ladies in uh, in the shelves of the garage uh, with pouring tea and so forth, and had a fabulous time, and when. They left, I said to my mother, she can come every week. She doesn't need somebody to look after a little girl. And my mother, um, in my mother's reply, I understood that I was being lied to, but I did not understand what kind of lie it was or why she should be telling it. It was it was mm. in the manner of, oh, well, I don't think that would work out well, would it? Because we might need to go, you know. Um, yeah. It was it was that that understanding that my mother could lie to me, mm. and that I didn't understand why. Um, that was that has been a major theme in my life. Man, Story, storytelling is just 
endlessly fascinating. I think this is one of the reasons I've devoted my life to it is because oftentimes we think of stories and we think of the impact they have on the listener or reader or watcher, however the story takes comes comes to life, whether or not it's audio or it's a book or visual. And and yet to me, what's fascinating is the impact stories have on the storyteller, how much they change us as the storyteller, which is which is, um, I don't think known until you get deep in the process and realize in some way to tell a certain story, you as a person have to change. Um, it's not that you don't have the skill. It's that you're not the person yet. And that's a really different paradigm on storytelling to come to grips with your past is, and, and to come to grips with, you know, this history that you may not be proud of means you have to change into the person who can grasp that, who can wrap their arms around that. It's not an intellectual exercise. It's not a plotting exercise. It's a human, it's a soul exercise. And that's so, so different. Your, your yeah. story taught you how awful you were. And my, <laughs> <laughs> and my uh, novel writing taught me what a white privilege I write. Right. From. Yeah. It, it, it's like the mirror, you know, you don't want, you know, you want to stand in front of a mirror and it look, you're like, wow, I'm beautiful. And, you know, storytelling, yeah. you stand in front of me and you're like, God, what am I looking at? This is awful. I actually want to talk about writing about race. I mean, you, you use the term okay. electrified and you used um, the term, I, I believe that's, that's what it was. And, you know, in our, yeah. in our history as Americans and humans in general, the past, you know, three or 400, 500 years, um, th- this is a, yeah, this is a topic, you know, in, in Western culture, American Western culture, this is a topic. Um, right. We, we are, inheritors of the topic we didn't create it um but it is something we have nonetheless need to address and as writers look head on and i think there's a lot of writers out there and i think probably a lot of white writers out there who um they not not that they necessarily want to write about race specifically but they want to be as respectful in something that maybe they recognize they don't have a full view of um, which is which is the broad topic of race in this country and white privilege in this country. And so I'm curious as somebody who's written about it, like how did you navigate that? Oh, <laughs> I don't know that I know how to answer that. I mean, a little bit of time, you know. Um, it, it was not a matter, matter, it was never a matter for me of navigating race. It was navigating this bit of the story, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Here's a here's a um, I'm I'm writing about Arizona in 1914, and here's um, a Chinese boy who is uh, it comes from an affluent family that goes to the um, Methodist church because his father owns the store in town, and yet what what is it like for him in grammar school, you know, and and in that was that was the book Cutting Stone, and I ended up writing a third of the novel from his point of view. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I did wake up some mornings and think, you know, I'm writing from the point of view of a 19-year-old Chinese boy in 1914. He's gay, you know. What 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 am I what am I up to? But I also had a way into him. I knew I did, and I um, always came to his sections with great relief. 
oh, this mm. is going to go well because I, 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 I know him. I have no trouble knowing him. Um, I think the, the first indication of that was, was thinking about him at school. You know, I was the fat girl in the fourth grade and I connected being the fat girl in the fourth grade with being the one Chinese boy in the school mm. and, um, and tried to um, transliterate those feelings from one, one to another. Now, of course, absolutely, that is appropriation. Mm -hmm. That is what we meant by appropriation. Mm -hmm. and, and, and inevitably talking about this, we bump up against that issue, you know, who has a right to write about whom? Right. I am absolutist about this, I have to say. I think anybody's got a right to write about anybody. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know if you've run into the book Appropriate, um, no author's name I can't at the moment tell you, but she talks for a full book about this issue of whether the, the avowed empathic purpose of imaginative writing is enough to give you the right to write about someone who is of mm. a different gender. I'm going to look that up. Yeah. All of that. Yeah. Um, and her answer is, it, it's okay if you write about it well enough. Well, <laughs> that's my answer. <laughs> yeah. You better know what you're talking about. You better do the research. You better do the, 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 the empathetic work. And, uh, and then, you know, um, Lynn Nottage is good on this, the playwright, Pulitzer Prize winning playwright who's um, the, the ruined and sweat and her newest one is in up for a, a Tony at the moment. And I've forgotten the name of it at the moment because um, I'm old and I forget. <laughs> um, but but she said she's black and she said you know i how am i supposed to write if i can't write both black and white characters yeah i this is my world you know i have to be able to write about that and i i don't think there's an answer to that you know yeah yeah it's it's a topic that is it's really it, it's so important for I do think people who have come from writing of having the privilege of basically being able to write about anybody and not, I don't want to say have consequences, but it not really matter if they screwed it up, you know, like for them, the, the, the bar was low. And so there wasn't an yeah. outcome if, if, if they, you know, wrote people horrifically wrong. Um, but it's an important conversation. It's one I, it's one I try to have, and I don't, I don't try to have any answers cause I don't, um, yeah. you, you know, and, that I I do, you know, I think we I'm a sort of free speech absolutist, although it is being sorely tested these yeah, days. Yeah, it's an interesting time for that too. Yeah. <laughs> it is there too. And and I don't think you can be you can believe in the principle of free speech without believing in the principle of free imagination. Mm. At the same time, there's hate speech and there's hate imagination yeah and no bit that's not really what i mean though the, th the thing that concerns me is that our imaginations are not really free they come out of our background and mm -hmm. our 
experiences and, uh, you know, and so forth. Um, the, the whole of our, of our lives uh, go into the capacities of our imagination. But I do think that one of the gifts and uh, I guess gift is the right word, the gifts of, of our work is that, that, um, that you can stretch your imagination. I, I, the image I have in my head is of an ear being stretched mm -hmm. to a hole in it. You know, it, it's like you can stretch your flesh. You can stretch your yeah. imagination. Yeah, it's it, that's another one of those huge. I mean, like you said, there's an entire book on it. It's another one of those huge topics. Oh, there are um, many books. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it it's um, it's something I've personally, in my own work and writing, have have really come up against. Is you know wanting to explore and write certain stories, but not not wanting to cause harm by. Um, by that story it's it's an interesting kind of balance now specifically for writers and again i'm not i'm not claiming to have answers um but something i've i've also butt up against as well what what i what i want to change topics on is is to talk about craft writing as well now um okay. and i've been on a great run of interviewing um all sorts of people who have written craft books themselves and so it's really fun to um talk to craft educators. It's something I love to do is, is the education side of the writing life as well. Um, let's start here. If, if I were a brand new writer um, and I came to you and I said, I've had a story idea for 20 years rolling around in my head and I had this in the way and that in the way, I'm sick of making excuses. I'm going to write this damn book. I'm going to tell this story. Where do I start? How would you answer that? In the first place, don't write the book. Write this little bit of it and that little bit of it. And they don't even have to be the first bit and then the next bit. You know, write, mm -hmm. write a little bit here and there. Um, that's the first thing, because a book is too big to write. Nobody can write a book. You know, you can only write this page. You know, oh, I love that. And then... Um, you know, all of us always feel we've there, too much is going on in our lives to be able to write, and it's true. We are we are way too busy. We we have children and families and jobs and illnesses and pandemics, and <laughs> we we're just too busy to write. So. What I like to look at in my own life is what are the what are the things that I always manage to have time for anyway? And uh, I these days I always have time for Colbert. <laughs> you know, I get 20 minutes of Colbert before I go to bed. I always have time to read the New York Times in the morning. Sometimes I do a kind of skimmy job of it, but I always take time to do that. I always have time to, to eat lunch um, and so forth, you know, and, then, and I, can, I can see seven or eight things I always have time for. Which one of those is more important to me than writing? You know? And then 
instead of saying to myself, I must write today, I must write today, I must get, get, make time to write, say, today I'm going to allow myself to write. Mm. This is something I know I want to do. I really want it. And so I'm going to let myself do it. Mm. And if you can, can take that attitude toward, now I'm not telling you that this is easy or that it's done once you've done it, you know, yeah. I am the least disciplined person you have ever interviewed. <laughs> and, and that's probably why I had to write how-tos, you know, because <laughs> I, I, I need it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but if I can remember that today I'm just going to allow myself to do this. And then, you know, supper might be late or patchy or, uh, or I might skip Colbert or whatever it is, but I might allow myself to write. Actually, I've, I've skipped around the day in saying that, but I also think that if you can do this, you know, if you can say, What's the least I can do? Yeah. What's the least I can do for writing today? I probably yes. can put the date at the top of the page. You know? right. And that if if I can carve out 10 minutes a day, 10 minutes, that's all. And that helps because if you know that particular 10 minutes is the only 10 minutes you're going to have, then your mind starts working on it for 24 hours. You know? Right, right. Time. that's when that's when i'm going to do it so those are those are a couple of things i would i would say first first and foremost don't write a book write a page perfect yeah yeah i love that there's there's um i actually just tweeted uh yesterday i'm just getting into twitter which has never been my go-to but i'm just getting into twitter <laughs> oh, um, you and Elon musk what yeah i know right uh right as right as i get into it it gets bought right um, but I just tweeted this idea that that one of the big, you know, there's there's like two big problems that a lot of writers butt up against, especially newer writers. And the first one's overcomplication. Um, writing actually books and and stories can be very simple. Like, like if you look at a lot of stories, they don't have a million plot lines, and they're not having twi- like it can be very simple. You can have one really great character with one really great plot. Like it doesn't need to be hyper complex so overcomplication. story story you don't want more than one character right you don't want it to be hyper complex right yeah over complexity and then the second one is these these um unsustainable crushing expectations you know so yeah. many writers are like oh, i have to write for two hours a day six days a week yeah. and if i don't do that i beat myself up and i just emotionally destroy myself and i'm always i always want to say like love yourself like like <laughs> take the heat down a little bit. Like if two hours is too long, write for an hour. If an hour is too wrong, write for 15 minutes. Like if 15 minutes is too long, walk your dog with your phone and just talk into your phone and dictate a page. Like I think what we do is we often discount the value of small consistent activity over a long period of time and and how that multiplies in ways unimaginable on day one. Here, here, here. That's, yeah, that's exactly right. Exactly. Yeah. One thing I wanted to ask you though is, is you, you phrased your second point as I'm going to allow myself. Yeah. What about that allowance, that permission? 
is important because a lot of people are going to say, I'm going to write and, and it's a forceful uh, attitude, but saying I'm going to allow myself is almost as if you're removing something that's keeping you from it. I, I hope that makes sense, but that, 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 that triggered in my I, mind a little bit. Well, I, I think what keeps you from it is the expectation that it must be marvelous. Right. You know, I, I, discovered <laughs> Jeez, this, <yeah. laughs> I discovered this very early on that, that uh, when the baby was crying, the baby got my first energy. And then I had a class to prepare. The class got my second energy. And then I had a novel to write. The novel always got my third energy. And I thought, you know, when I, each of these things is necessary. If, if the baby is crying, the baby's got to be fit. Right. And, and it, I've got to go to class tomorrow and I got to have something to say, but if the baby is fed, then that is accomplished. If I go to the class and say I'm only just just reasonably good today or <laughs> mediocre, at least I appeared and I and I uh, gave out a certain amount of information and listened to what they had to say. But when I sit down to the novel, you know, if it's not wonderful, it's nothing. It's, it's got, mm. nobody needs another novel, certainly not from me, you know, so, so, so this hideous expectation yeah. that it's got to be absolutely brilliant or it, it well, the thing is, it, it, it isn't going to be the first time. So you might as well write crap. Right. Just, just make mud on the page before you expect yourself to make a statue. Right. Oh, I love that so much. Um, I, I, I could just keep going on these topics on and on and on, but I just looked at the time and like always, yeah. our time is up in a flash. Uh, this, yeah. this is both such a fun thing to interview so many amazing, beautiful authors. And it's also so heartbreaking when I look at the time and I say, that was it. Um, so with that said, I'm going to transition us to our final question. So if you're a new listener out there, I always kind of give the same preamble before I ask these questions, which is I ask the same questions to every single guest at the end of the podcast. And I do it for two reasons. The first reason is because I like the answers and it's my show and I get to do whatever I want because I'm, it's my show. Uh, the second reason is because the, the point of doing this podcast, the very reason I did this podcast was I hold the belief that's the most important thing for a writer is to learn their process for putting words on the page. Yeah, And it's unique to each writer. And once you've uncovered your process, even the first steps of it, the whole writing life opens up. Everything opens up when you can consistently put words on the page. Mm -hmm. Nothing really happens except for thinking, <laughs> which doesn't count uh, before that point. And my hope is, as you hear these answers, you realize that no two writers are the same, firstly. Yeah. And the second thing, maybe it inspires you, maybe gives you some ideas, maybe it's kind of fun, maybe it opens up something and encourages yeah. you, dear listener, to find your process, to get words on the page, to get those, get those stories written. So with that said, with my preamble complete, yeah. let us dive into question number one, which is, what do you view is your role as a storyteller? Connection. And it's connection, connection in two ways. One is that here I sit, wherever I am, whenever I am, writing something that I send out into the world. And I hope that 
at some point, the most glorious thing will happen. Somebody else will pick it up and share with me what's going on on the page. It'll be, the reading will be their version of it, but it will be what I wrote. And that's, that's gorgeous to me. Oh, I love that. And then there's the uh, connection within the work itself. The, uh, the capacity that I think imagination gives me to speak to characters uh, and to bring them into communication with each other. Hmm. These, these, um, these fictitious people who uh, really not only haven't connected, but haven't, sorry, I want to start that over again. Yeah, please. Um, these fictitious people who not only don't exist, but if they did exist, wouldn't necessarily be in connection with each other, but I can bring them together on the page. Mm. And, and when I do, they have a story. So I love it. See, this is why I do this. I've, I've not gotten the response connection, but as you said that it really resonated. Like there was something about that. I think that's a powerful word that's overused, um, but you actually, yeah, but you actually think about the word itself and there's so much power in it. We just, we throw it around too willy nilly, but when used in the right spot, I think it has so much behind it. And you saying that it just kind of <laughs> connected some things in my brain that, um, I'm going to go on a walk after this podcast. That's my new kind of thing is I do an interview and then I go on a walk because I have to just process through everything that I just talked about. I just kind of internalize it. And I feel like that's going to be something that's going to bounce around in my head on the heels of this. Right. This interview. Yeah. I will be honored if it does. It, it will. Yeah, it will. Um, it's my new, one of my new rituals. Anyways. Okay. Uh, question number two, what is one word or the one word I should say that best describes you? Resilient. Resilient. Mm. Another way to say that is just I'm all over the place, you know, up and down and up and down. <laughs> but 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 writing does that to you, you know, it dashes yeah. you and then you pick yourself up and go again. Isn't that the truth? Okay, question number three. If you had to pick a spirit book, so this is a book that if you died and you were able to be reincarnated as a book, this would be the book that you would choose. What book is that? The first thing that came into my head was Middlemarch by George mm -hmm. Eliot. Okay. And I thought that can't be right. That's 18th century. I encountered that very young. And the more I thought about it, the more it's right. That's it. And I think this is the reason. There are two characters, one male, one female in that book, um, Tertius Lydgate and Dorothea Brooke, both of whom are absolutely thrilled by the life of the mind. And they're also really uh, interested in and drawn to the communal life and the social life and the family life that they're offered in their circumstances. And both of them make the wrong marriage and trap themselves into the social communal and lose the life of the mind. Now, Lydgate loses it forever. 
Dorothea manages to climb out and uh, well, her husband dies. <laughs> her old husband dies. And, and she does manage to grow up, is what it is, and think through what it is that she cares about, and then to meet someone who, who is good for her. And, uh, and that, I think, it's not just that I have experienced much of this, but that I think that it is, for my generation, and I'm 85, for my generation, it has been the central question, um, can you live the life of the mind and still be a mother, a wife, mm. a, a, a social person? Interesting. Wow. Okay. That, uh, I, I feel like I kind of want to go like dive back into Middlemarch and I've recently reread it and I was amazed at how I cared about these. Oh, people. wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I will. I mean, I, I love the, the big old novels, you know? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, maybe, maybe they'll be on my list. Okay. Um, question number four, is there a specific tool and it can be anything at all pencil software chair that you absolutely must have to write a window, a window, a window. And I think it connects back to the connection. Yeah. You know, I both, I know that a lot of writers like to have a blank wall and a small space and then feel they're in a cubby hole to write, <laughs> but I can't do it. I feel claustrophobic. I just want to get out. I think I do have that connection to the world and I, I want to see it. This We've recently downsized into Chicago and the smaller bedroom that was clearly going to be my study didn't have a window in it. So I cut through the wall, you know, put in <laughs> big glass folding door. <laughs> so, oh, man. You must have it. You cut through the wall. It must have it. Yeah. Question number five. How do you deal with the constant ups and downs of the writing life? Up and down. Up and down. I don't know any other way. Just going up and down. Yeah. Just up and down. Yeah. 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 I, I, I am always hurt by criticism and I always let it lie and then can take it in. And if it's useful, use it. And, and I suppose that's most of the up and down. I mean, there's, if, if you're going to have the writing life, you have to be resilient and you have yeah. to deal with the ups and downs because yeah. you are going to be turned down. Mm. You are going to be, there's no, yeah. there's just no two ways about it. Yeah. It's, you're going to take your punches. That's yeah. for sure. That's for sure. It's part of doing hard work. Be rejected. <laughs> it's part of soul work. I think in general, when you do stuff with the soul, yeah. um, it is for some reason, the soul work is always tied to vulnerability you know, for, for some reason, you know, uh -huh. any, any great soul work, writing, or any artistry, parenting, loving somebody else, you know, there, there's always a sense of vulnerability. And, and I don't, again, I don't understand why I'm not coming up with answers. I'm just making an observation. <laughs> uh, okay. Last question, sixth question. If you could give one piece of advice for new to new writers out there, what would it be? Do I get three stabs? <laughs> you can have as many as you want yeah <laughs> well uh i like there are two that i like a lot that are very different one is grace paley's keep a low overhead okay the second one is bertolt brecht you can make a fresh start with your final breath 
And the third one is something I said earlier, don't make yourself right, allow yourself to write. The low overhead one, what does that mean? <laughs> you won't you won't have you won't get paid for it. Right. It means it means you aren't gonna make any money. Yeah, right. Got that. Yeah. I wish I'd learned that earlier in my life. Um, I probably could have avoided some some heartache. Uh oh yeah. <laughs> <sighs> There wow. What's that? There lies a story. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there is. Gosh, you're not kidding. Um, Janet, I, I've so appreciated um, this conversation and your soul. Really, really interesting project. Yeah. I really love what you're doing. And I'm honestly, I'm a little shell shocked when you said you are 85. Um, <laughs> I honestly, I, I would have, I'm not trying to flatter you. I would have guessed decades earlier i mean like okay. I, I can only hope to be no. as wise zoom is a little is a little flattering you know what's that zoom is a little flattering. oh my goodness well i i'm so appreciative of your time and of your wisdom i mean it, it's um it's a blessing for me to be able to talk to you personally and then to be able to share somebody with so much wisdom my for folks who won't get to talk to you you know <laughs> is really special. So thank you so much for your time and for the interview. So much. I really appreciate it. Bye now. Thank you again to Janet for time. If you haven't yet, please check us out on Instagram. It's happywriter underscore co. I'm tweeting all the time now. It's the Murfinator. And as always, we'd love to have you join inside of Happy Writer. Um, you can go ahead and go on to happywriter.co. There you can sign up for free. Join me and about 1,300 writers as we go along this writing journey together. As always, thank you so much for listening. And I hope you have a really great week of writing.